0: You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue.
1: A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey, world!
2: We're kids!
1: Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise.
2: Yeah, KISS sucks! KISS employs the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire
3: and
0: smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever consistent, constant concealment of their true
2: identities. Speaking of which, KISS is going to have its own comic book soon.
1: Take KISS with you, it's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. Nerd! Oh my god! No time to
2: turn!
3: And welcome again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd Podcast. Nerds! As always, I'm Russ hey russ hey russ and uh (laughs) hi guys (laughs) hi guys i'm with cap and alex from the something good network
2: hi how cap how how How, alex how how cap how How, you how (laughs) how does alex (laughs) alex does tired
3: (laughs) (laughs) i think we're all pretty tired today for some reason um we are traveling through the history of kiss you know, album
2: by album, year, year by, by year, 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 year blah, phase blah. by phase. We aren't
3: experts. We do not claim to be, but you know, we like talking about this stuff because we're nerds. Yeah, <gasps> We've been doing it for about a year now, right? Uh, yes, yeah, I think yeah, over have. a year now. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any kind of anniversary, so uh-huh. you know, we're not to be one to toot my own horn, but. Toot,
1: toot. <laughs> we did it. Toot. <laughs> no. Now we're coming into an era where not where, where I'm starting to become aware of KISS. Oh, like, yeah. In my lifetime. Mm-hmm. You know, before we've been covering a lot of stuff, you know, that happened like either and, you know, before my lifetime or as I'm being born and not being aware of such things. And now they're go, on my go, radar.
3: Goddamn whippersnappers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to look at the
3: reunion uh, of 1996, the reunion of the original band today. Mm-hmm. And the uh, reunion tour. Um, we are coming out of. We 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 just finished doing the uh, the last episode was Carnival of Souls, which has not been released at this point. No, but in timeline, that was when it was recorded. Uh, they have in you know for public per- perception, the last thing Kisses really come off of is the unplugged album which we've also done an episode on, which, of course, they bring back Ace and Peter for a couple of songs to close the set out with. Mm-hmm. That, of course, immediately lights the, you know, not the not, it, not, not a spark, a bonfire.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <You> <laughs> it know. definitely sparks the fuse.
3: Because, let's face it, what is Kiss? Kiss... And we've talked about this Kiss as the makeup incarnation of Kiss, capital K I S S, versus the non-makeup era of Kiss, which is capital K with lowercase I S
0: S. But it's really, still kiss, but and, 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 and
3: kiss? the best analogy I can come up with is it's as if Superman decided to become Clark Kent all the fucking time. <laughs> <laughs> I I yeah. That's that's what it is. I mean, it's yeah, he might have he might Clark have Kent. all the same powers or whatever. But who the fuck wants to see? You know, look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's Clark.
1: Kent. That was the, <laughs> the, was the lowest in Clark years of Kiss,
3: and that's what Kiss is because they had been Superman. And they had been so, it, it, it's just, it's not even the same thing. And, it's the, and
1: I've talked about, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, it's the comic book kind of, um, you know, larger than life, you know, cartoon thing that you know, it stuck with people over the years. And
3: that's why Kiss doesn't contextualize itself very well against other bands, even of that era of the 70s. You know, Kiss, and I've said this before, exists in their own self contained context. They are only seemingly able to start grasping this in this era but i don't think they've ever fully
2: grasped it i wouldn't say you
3: can't compare kiss to aerosmith no you can't compare kiss to led zeppelin your or you know we, and the thing is is like kiss in the 70s existed as an entity unto themselves and the world reacted to them kiss in after the After the 70s, the post-makeup era, Kiss no longer were that entity that the world reacted to. Kiss was reacting to the world. Right. And, I mean, and they've been very forward on, you know, where they once led, they now followed. We've yeah. talked about how they, you know, everything that came down the pike, you know, they wanted to be, the, what did Bon Jovi do? Exactly. In the 80s, you know, when and now in the 90s, we got up to this carnival of souls, what, what they're trying to be Alice and Ch- They're following formulas, and and, uh, formulas and, uh, it, that have been established for other groups. Whereas in the 70s, they just did what they did exactly,
2: and I wasn't even going to bring this up because it just would not have fit, you know, part of the episode. But it actually now works on something you're saying, which is um, in preparation for this reunion episode. You know, one of the main key things that's really interesting to watch is, of course, the USS Intrepid footage, which we'll get to that in the timeline, but. just in the process of doing that, I also just started going back and re-watching old press conferences for like other albums. Mm Because I was like, oh, this was something I actually didn't do when we were doing our research in Mm -hmm. the different eras. And through that, just watching different press conferences and interviews, because Kiss was always in their own bubble and always in their own lane, throughout the 70s, they never really got asked questions about their contemporaries. But throughout the 80s, they did start Mm -hmm. getting asked about that. Paul would dodge questions about any other bands. He would always give his non answers Mm -hmm. when it came to any other bands. Yet, when you look at the internal, they're Focusing so hard on it. But in the public, they acted very much like, oh, I don't know what they're doing. Oh, uh, who, who are they? You know, yeah, they, yeah. They, they would give very much answers like that. So, yeah, just another interesting part I've noticed that they were so encapsulated in their own bubble, they still wanted to project the image that they weren't paying attention to what well, was around them.
3: the 80s, they tried to, they, they had gotten so programmed in the 70s to having established and preserved that mystique that. Once they came out of it, they seemed to always want to continue to preserve this, which was now completely non-existent mystique.
1: It's like now we everybody knows wrestling's fake.
3: Yeah, and, and that's, you know, that's all part of the, you know, it's all a part of kind of what gets the sheen that gets lost it's like once you know how the
1: magician does this trick yeah exactly it's not
3: as fun as it
1: was there's no mystery it's just like yeah, whatever that kind of deal but people are you know excited about having that band that did that well here
3: they are they're going to try to put the toothpaste back into the tube and you know they're gonna pull it off surprisingly um in this At this point, and I think I mentioned this in a previous episode, Ace and Peter are both being managed by a guy named George Suet, who was the road manager during the unmasked, maybe the Dynasty tour as well, I believe. Um, And this is who, you know, Gene and Paul have to go through to negotiate deals with Ace and Peter. And there's not a lot of information that I can find about this. They speak poorly of George Suet. And I think, you know... They they describe him as difficult to work with, but
1: that could also mean he was shrewd and smart. Right. And And apparently Gene was the one making all of those phone calls, according to both Gene and Paul in their their, uh, books. Yeah, it,
2: it seems like George wasn't that much of a problem right now at the beginning of the tour. It wasn't until the second leg of the reunion tour kicked off that he really started becoming a thorn in their side, primarily thinking he had Gene and Paul over a barrel financial-wise. Because we'll get to it, but midway through the tour is when Ace and Peter really started making some hemming and hawing over how much they were being paid. And that's when George kind of stepped in, trying to act like he knew what was up. And like after the third time of the stink being raised according to Gene and Paul, is when they had a sit-down, itemized everything, and basically that was the end of George trying to strong-arm. Well,
3: I mean, it's... So maybe he ain't as shrewd as he wants to believe. At any point, they get offered, I guess... I don't know. See, this is where I have a lot of kind of a blurred kind of understanding what's going on because... The unplugged thing happens in what? When did they record that? We say it was in August of '95. Yeah. <clears throat> and so the wheels start turning on this thing really quick. But again, like we mentioned in the previous episode, they go sh- kiss Gene and Paul's. You know the the duo, as I like to say, yep. the duo. They take Eric and Bruce and go into the uh, studio to cut Carnival of Souls. While they're doing this, they are also negotiating this reunion. Yeah. Does Bruce and Eric even know that this is happening? No. How could they not know? Because the rumors are
2: so prevalent. Um, Well, because, again, even when they were talking about – because actually – one of my favorite Kiss documentaries is Kiss Behind the Makeup. It was that special that came out in like 2001, 2002 VH1. on VH1. Mm-hmm. That is a very well done documentary because you had Joyce Bogart talking about it. It was mm-hmm. before Bill had passed, so Bill was being interviewed. Mm-hmm. You had a bunch of important people during that time talking. And in that documentary, <clears throat> um, when they make mention of the. Um, sorry, I forgot where I was leading with that because you were asking about the timelines, right? Yeah. Forgot where I was leaning with that because in that documentary, they. Oh, Eric had said uh, in his part of the interview, he's like, we thought, you know, we were just getting asked about a powwow session for the next, like, the release of Carnival of Souls. Like, we didn't think we were getting pulled in to be like, hey, you're going to be part of the payroll for the next year, but you're not going to be touring with us.
3: Well, all of this is going on in the fall of 95 um because peter's memory memory says that he was approached over the holidays but i would think that that would probably go back as far as thanksgiving uh you know and he to to there so i guess i don't know what exactly are the terms here they obviously aren't bringing ace and peter
1: back as equal members no. so instead they're offered position of employment yeah mm-hmm. And that was so wasn't uncommon with like any classic rock band of the time that was going on these big reunion tours. But it also
2: wasn't unlike Bruce and Eric Singer. But they were just swapping those employees out for two other employees.
3: Based, but what, what you know, I'm wondering how they came to to a dollar amount. Like based on what you know, versus they have Bruce weird. and Eric, and we know that Bruce and Eric were paid a hundred grand, or reportedly, allegedly. So, you know that there had to be, you know, on par with that.
1: Well, they talk about millions whenever, like, Gene talks about how much he was going to offer Ace. It
3: wasn't the the potential for millions. Now, you got to remember that at this point, and this is the hardest part to grasp. I mean, as KISS fans, we were bought in, we were fully vested. Mm -hmm. But uh, on a a larger scale, the idea of a KISS reunion, and and we're going to talk about this in a minute, is really met with a cold response from promoters.
2: But, hmm... well Kiss has very little faith in it even being a success at this themselves, point. Over. That's yeah. why
3: they're they're not that's why they're continuing to work with Bruce and Eric to record
1: this other album and I'm sure they have to book all these places like well in advance if they're I'm, even going to do it. Because
2: honestly I think they're looking at this as a one tour done and at that point we're going to jump back and do the stuff we were doing.
3: So what are Ace and Peter exactly offered? Because out of the gate Peter initially declines. He's like, no, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. So it, you know, and then he thinks about it again, and then probably just the realization of, hey, you know what? I'm not going to have to play clubs. You know. Yeah.
1: I, I mean, it, you it's him talking both about of that. Them, you know, in his book too about you know he hated playing clubs. Um, but it's
3: still too early in the game to to say that this thing is going to be a guaranteed success. Again, as a Kiss fan, I think all Kiss fans knew this is a stadium tour. Yeah. They don't do, but a handful of stadium dates on the tour. But it probably could have been, we know now, based on the success and the numbers, that they probably could have pulled off a stadium tour. But that's neither here nor there. We'll get there. Um, my, you know, having, you know, a very clear memory of this when it was happening, my memory of this goes through secondhand, you know, I had a friend that lived in Connecticut, and his he knew a girl that was allegedly Ace Frehley's girlfriend, kind of blah 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 blah. Right. So that's where I first heard about this. You know, they're doing this. This is happening. They hadn't announced it. This is and this is about this Christmas. Was Christmas. This is around Christmas time of '95.
2: Yeah, because here it says Ace and Peter were both officially signed January fifth.
3: Okay, well there you go. So yeah. but they hadn't. You know.
2: Um, but here's what this is—the reason I was so frantically clicking around is it was again another note I didn't make, but I thought about it in the moment. Uh, history repeating itself. How fast they're moving right now. If Ace and Peter get signed in January of that year. They're still in the studio recording Carnival of Souls all the way up to February. Right. When do they make that Grammy appearance? In February, I In know. February. It's like,
3: All through this, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. All, as all of this is going on, all the negotiations and everything else. that Because you also got to consider, once they've got this signed, they're going to have to refit for new costumes. Yep. You know, they're going to have to... At, at what point do they finally sit down together and try to play? When did that happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly that had to have been... That had to be, like, the first thing. Let's just see if we can even get in a
1: room. And you know, and they, they talk I mean, the, about uh, the that acoustic, extensively. The
3: acoustic thing, obviously, they've done it with that. But when have they ever sat down just and plugged in and said, let's... I
2: think that happens after the Grammys and b- before see, the that's, intrepid.
3: That, so that, that's... that's like, they put
2: hard. the cart before the horse they on They really that. put yeah. the cart before the horse <laughs> like, on this. Like, seriously, and all the amount of recounting I can tell is... They put on the makeup and the costume, showed up at the Grammys, and then after that went, okay, let's get to work.
3: And again, how do the other members not know what the hell's going on? But I guess if on January 5th they're
2: being officially signed Signed. probably within but again all the like what you said all the conversations all the meetings there was uh, a thing posted that I just pulled away from that it was a rumor that was posted in the Asbury Park Press in January of 96 rumoring uh, in in a homage to the Alive 2 stage could be coming in a Kiss reunion tour so if the Asbury Park Press is posting this in January 96 well it's also there's
3: a mention on an e-television show in early January about it, too. I didn't see it, so I don't know what how it was right. framed or what the context is. But, obviously, they're already, you know, this is stuff that's already leaking.
2: But then Bruce and Eric want to turn around and go, we when, we, when we got a phone call in January, February, well, we I- just thought it was a powwow. For- Unless they were aware that this could just be a one-and-done deal and <sighs> that we're going to be back in the fold, but then this, this specific conversation was... Yeah, it's probably going to be a little longer than that, Buds. Well, yeah. I
3: mean, yeah, I don't know. Uh, we don't know. It's still the, just a very interesting time at the, frame. At, and at the end of January, towards the end of January, uh, Gene appears on an afternoon drive-time radio show out of Chicago. And, you know, they needle him. And he heavily teases the reunion without explicitly stating mm-hmm. it. Um, I like never say never and shit like that. So the first public acknowledgment... Of the reunion happens with the surprise appearance of the original four in full costume at the nineteen ninety six Grammy Awards, yep. February twenty eighth. They're introduced by Tupac, and they're wearing newly made versions of the seventy seven seventy eight Love Gun costumes.
2: Still, some of my favorite costumes. I mean, that's the original what, era. You know, so they
3: know right where to to start. You know, they 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 know this is what people are going to want. Yeah, you know. They're not going to come out in, you know, the earlier versions of their costuming and stuff. And right.
2: You know, They're coming out at the peak of their popularity. The peak of kills. the popularity.
3: Um, they are not announced as Kiss by P- Tupac. Mm-hmm. Tupac just said, these are my homies. <laughs> they don't have to be because everyone already knows who the fuck this is. Yes. And what's if cool they as- had come out without makeup with Bruce and Eric, they would um, have to be introduced as, oh, and this is Gene pull you know, They would have to be Identified as kiss Not this way This also Again proves Just how great And how much greater The original kiss is How, how it shadows Overshadows anything that they did even in their own history.
2: And the thing is is uh, you can find the raw footage of those uh, the backstage stuff like on YouTube and Tupac is genuinely excited to see it. Yeah. You can tell he had yeah. some he sort of fan. appreciation yeah. of it. Well, it's just like mean, He's like holy shit. Yeah,
3: <laughs> and then of course they go to the backstage press huddle for a quick photo shoot, answer no questions, make no comments, there is still nothing stated explicitly, officially, at all about a reunion tour.
2: And honestly, out of all the kissisms and the kiss stories, honestly, probably the coolest one is seeing the footage of them just pulling up in that van and the security guards just kind of like looking yeah. and all of a sudden just stepping aside. Well, they just well, let, let them somebody, in.
3: Somebody, <laughs> somebody somewhere, I mean, that was set up.
2: Was it fully yeah, though? Because I would also imagine. I'm sure it was kind of kept on could, the
3: D-Low, but it was still set up. I Brian mean, in a had way of like,
2: there's going to be people showing up. You're going to recognize who they are. Let them in. Kind may, of thing. Maybe.
3: I don't know. But I mean, obviously. So, so it, it, there's
1: a rock band that's coming by uh, here soon. You can't just assume. Yeah. yeah, but you
3: can't just. I mean, at that point, you can't just assume security We go, oh, there they are. It could have been anybody, you know, yeah. somebody. Or, but, but
2: you did see a lot of people backstage. What, I, actually, like, oh,
3: shit. I, I meant to write that down. I actually saw a name that was tied to this, and it was, I guess, one of the producers of the G- Grammy program. Um, but here's what's not mentioned. Uh, promoters are cold to the idea of a reunion. The last several non-makeup kiss tours had been essentially death marches for promoters. Yeah, uh, we've talked about this. I mean, the last show, flicking
2: picks, and it going the last, past the last row of the mm-hmm. Revenge
3: tour was in Phoenix, Arizona, to three thousand people. Yeah, I mean, it was abysmal. Kiss were going back to the clubs, and they were doing everything in their power not to. And this was the ace card, no pun oh. intended. This was the card that they could play. Of course, they were going to play it. It was inevitable.
2: And it, and let it not be understated. How important Ace was for all of this? Uh, well, yeah, I want to get to that,
3: but well, before just, I do, yeah. I want to talk about this. I mean, again, uh, uh, as successful as alternative rock had proven to be, there was really there weren't a lot of arena level bands by the mid nineties.
1: And the whole grunge thing kind of died by then too, as and, far as like but hard that rock
3: had killed the arena rock. Market, um, you know, it's it slowly transitioned in this era to the what 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 they say in the uh, you know what they refer to in the business as the biz as the the, biz. they call them the sheds yep, these right. amphitheaters that these groups would do their summer and still do their summer tours yeah but the arena rock circuit that had been the bread and butter of all bands through the seventies and what have you that's kind of died out. Mm-hmm. And they're not promoters; aren't real certain about you know the proven formula of a, even a kiss reunion. Um, you know, there's um,
2: and honestly, that, and even Kiss isn't entirely sure. There seems to just yeah, be one person that kind of thinks it will. What Doc McGee? Doc McGee. Well, I mean, you have Jimmy Page
3: and Robert Plant reunited around this time, not as Led Zeppelin, but still, that's a proven draw.
1: The Eagles was super successful, and that I, was a big reunion yeah, for the Yeah, that was 70s. like in 94 or I think.
3: I think ACDC
2: take, so. was still doing pretty good on tours. ACDC
3: would still do okay. You had the, the Who reunited that year as well to do a tour for Quadrophenia. So, there's these legacy acts, so called legacy acts, touring that seemingly had greater credibility than what was perceived as a hackneyed publicity stunt by a washed up novelty group from the 70s. That's now that's mm. that hurts to say that, yeah. but that is exactly the perspective that, that was the promoters their perspective. Have. Yeah, so
2: this isn't a guaranteed home run yet. <laughs> <laughs> and again, how weird it? They basically reset history and make history play itself out in its entirety again, like all the way up to where we are today. Yeah. In 96, KISS literally hit the reset button and retract everything they did. No one was sure about these four guys in makeup again. No one wanted to believe in it. Boom, they're at the top of the world. Not to get too far ahead, they replace Ace and Peter once again and keep going in a half-assed version. Mm -hmm. It's like they literally hit the reboot button. Right, yeah. Well,
3: at this point, they did have... Uh, the really good fortune of having Danny Goldberg in their corner. Danny Goldberg had taken over as head of Mercury Records. Yeah. He had worked as their publicist at, for a time in the 70s. We talked about that. Had worked for Led Zeppelin. Um, he, <coughs> having been a publicist, pub, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> easy for me to say, having been a publicist himself, knew key people in the industry, and he was able to secure. Um, a guy named Kenny Sunshine. And Ken Sunshine had been the chief of staff under the New York City Mayor David Dinkins and moved through political circles mm-hmm. and had formed his own PR, you know, public relations firm. And that's who he got to do public relations for KISS going into this because he had the idea of we need to get into the mainstream hard news, not just your entertainment news. We need to get into – and that's how you see, you know, as, as the tour progresses, you see KISS pop up in like Forbes and stuff mm, like this. Right, And it is Kenny Sunshine who uses his connections to secure the USS Intrepid, which is a battleship mm-hmm. uh, and, or is it an aircraft carrier. I, I think, think it was an carrier. aircraft carrier. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you
2: know, menacing.
3: It's a it's 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 moored in New York City's harbor for a museum. I think that's where they have one of the space shuttles now.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So
3: it's not it's
1: not a small but oh, that's a big it's a big statement for sure
3: so he uh, he's the one that secures their uh, you know that's and this is where on April 16th uh, Kiss formally announced with their big press conference in full costume the whole deal uh, the and, reunion
2: and now uh, before actually going into this it always just kind of seemed like that was the outside of the Grammys that was like the first real time people were really hearing about it It had to have been leaked and talked about so much before that, though, because uh, who we say Larry Mazer, no, not Mazer, the the guy uh, Polygram. Oh, Danny Goldberg Danny Goldberg uh, He introduced the band before uh, Conan did And he already said Their first show is going to be at Detroit At the yada yada We got a this, that, and the other coming uh, Thank you guys so much for coming out After uh, the intro you'll have a chance for photos. Right, uh, right, I'm right. going to hand it over to Conan right. So I'm just like You just said everything important right then and there yeah. Like, Hey, breaking well, news Yeah, <laughs> it felt like such a non-thing Before Kiss came out Well, it's,
3: yeah, I mean, again, how much of this had gotten, it had to have been leaked to the press Mm -hmm. well in advance for the, you know, to build some sort of anticipation to have press there. But, you know, but as far as mainstream Mr. and Mrs. Middle America, no one knew about this. Yeah. I mean obviously that's the way the industry works mm. there's there's you know lines of connectivity that allow each other to know People what's going on so stuff. they can build this you know in advance of you know why, why would you throw a press conference for Kiss if you didn't know something what's you know And how much of a cool important?
2: move is it to have it on the USS Intrepid like that honestly is cool I,
3: You know I had heard that that wasn't their first choice and I tried to find that while I was Preparing for this show, well, see, I, I could
1: I, not find it. But for the life think, of me, it seemed like I had heard they wanted to do it somewhere else. I think Gene said something about that. We wanted to do it at like, say, um, you know, some sacred ground somewhere, like, an, <laughs> or whatever. Well, the I, the
2: I, only I, one I knew that they had something uh, try. They tried to pull something off, and then they couldn't. Is the New Year's Eve show? But, but, but they had to settle for underneath the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh, uh, yeah. uh,
3: I don't, I don't know about that. But <clears throat> well, I'll talk about that when we get yeah, to it. But they, they. they, they I mean, we say "settle" for the intrepid. Uh, 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 You know, whose idea this was, I don't know. Gene claims this was his idea, and it may well have been because uh, allegedly, I guess you know, he had dated Diana Ross, and she had done a press conference on the intrepid like 15 years before. Yeah. So you know, it's it's a it's a you know, kind of a grand Mm -hmm. revealing of the return of KISS.
2: And I still like Conan's line on that. He's like, when they asked me to introduce KISS, I just had two questions. What time? And what aircraft carrier? Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, and it was also cool to see someone on late night TV campaigning for Kiss so hard because he he, he had him on their show during like Mm -hmm. the Unplugged and Kiss My Ass eras. he covered the convention tour so it's like it was just kind of cool to see someone at least in the mainstream still holding the torch a little bit and helping them out
3: well they announced the tour and of course you know the first show announced is big and some would say at that moment too big which is Tiger Stadium in Detroit even Paul said too big you know and after that though they're scheduled for a summer run through arenas so you know the tour they've obviously picked up and i can't find who who they booked this through that's the other thing i don't know honestly, if it was honestly
2: i think it was a lot of dot McGee's connections like so at this point like I don't we have really you know them we've them talked yet. about
3: ati versus uh, what was the other one you know uh creative artists or whatever.
2: Oh, yeah, I remember that. It was early, early early. on.
3: So I'm sure they're using one of those. Mm -hmm. But, you know, then the promoters have to be sold on it. Uh, But it it would not. And like we said, in hindsight, you would think this whole thing could have been in stadiums, but Mm -hmm. that's with hindsight. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and during this time, uh, of course, is the whole stories about uh, Ace and Peter having to get retrained to do their parts again. But what I find interesting is as the years have gone on, like when you watch the second coming VHS tape that came out around this time period, maybe near the end of this. It show. was after. Yeah, story. yeah, right before Psycho. Yeah. But when you watch some of those clips, you hear them really talking about we really had to sit down with Ace and you know teach him you know his solos again and this, that, and the other. When you hear them tell the stories now, it's, yeah, Ace had a little bit of polishing up to do, Peter, though. Like, it seems Mm -hmm. like they, they were just going on just saying, like, Peter just did not get it. And, like, Paul's recollection is that when Tommy had his turn with Peter after he had his time with Ace... He called him up and was like, "Paul, I, I don't know how you're gonna do this." And Paul said, he just kind of laughed, thinking he was kidding. He's like, "No, I'm not. I'm being serious. Like, I don't know how you're going to pull this tour
3: off." Well, that's why I wondered what, what at what point it's like they've they've jumped way ahead of themselves without testing.
1: Can they even, you know, pull off a, a show? Yeah, it turns um, out Peter's joints are hurting anytime he plays a kid well, too. Allegedly. Allegedly. There's we'll, something we'll big
2: that, that happens on that. So yeah. I got a lot of we'll, notes on that. We'll, okay,
3: well we'll get there. Um, you know, but the tickets are put on sale for this and like Tiger Stadium sells out in forty seven minutes. Yeah. Forty thousand seats. That's giant. Yeah, God, that's enormous. That's giant. Uh, Chicago and Cleveland sell out in under 10 minutes. Madison Square Garden sells five consecutive nights in a single day. It's all sold out. Uh, the where we've talked about on previous episodes, when we kind of go through tour dates, we talk about uh, you know the, the attendance figures on some of them, how abysmal they were. Mm-hmm. This is going to be kind of the same on this, but in reverse.
2: Yeah, almost <laughs> all of them
3: are sold out dates. Yeah. Virtually every show sells out, and the ones that don't are are not. I mean, they're very close. Literally, you know some in some cases, it's, they only miss by hundreds of seats.
2: You, you you know how things get warped and changed a little bit in history and shuffled around. I wonder if that's when Bruce and Eric got the call. Yeah, ever <laughs> seeing all these sold out dates, they were just like, "All right, we got to call them." Yeah, guys <laughs> are like, "We can't go back to yeah.
3: that." <laughs> I don't. It, it, that may well be exactly what happened.
2: I didn't think of that till just now,
3: but I I don't know. Um You know, they start to rehearse. There's video footage of that. Mm -hmm. You talked about how there was concern about Peter. They have also, and Paul writes in his book about this, that Peter really dived in and worked his ass off. Yeah. He just, Peter was a complete different person.
2: MVP of the tour. But, you know,
3: it's obvious when they hit stage, he's he's missing a few steps. Yeah. We could talk about that. That You can overanalyze and over, over you know, and, and it's all fair. The criticism of their musical ability is I was going to say, if, if
2: we were poking at the 80s, we have to poke when but, this happened. But, but before we
3: get to that, let's just, you know, look at what they've got going on. They're rehearsing, uh, you know, they're allegedly working out, blah, 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 mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, the the hype is part of the hype. Who knows? We know now Ace wasn't so Sober. The deal was he was contractually obligated to remain sober, blah, 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 whatever. But it's like
2: literally on some of these dates, you see a straw poking out of the motherfucker's costume. (laughs) Seriously, I I, I found it when I was just going through and just kind of like getting myself entranced in the reunion era with different videos. I ran across one I I wish I had hit favorite on the date but there was an encore in which motherfuckers playing rock and roll all night and you see this white straw poking up from the V in his costume and I'm like, really? Well, (laughs) I mean, Ace is Ace
3: he's got his own ideas and approach to rock and roll that are entirely anti-ethical to everything that G. And Paul believes. Yeah, that's
2: I gotta have my drink on me. <laughs> and the stories
3: that
1: happen on the roads are just as wild with the uh, hotel rooms. Well, I mean, that's that's Ace. He's kind of his own eccentricity, and and it's like
3: you know the they can't say they didn't know what they were going to get into here.
2: But what I was saying earlier about how important Ace is to this entire picture any time it was mentioned about the kiss reunion and they'd bring up ace the crowd would go nuts. well they couldn't have done it without ace ace ace, ace. so it's like it's not to be understated how important it was that not only peter was back but ace they was could have back done the tour the fold, without peter unfortunately the sad yeah.
3: truth is i mean we talked about in 89 and they were you know a rumor afloat that They were going to try to do a reunion, but they were going to retain Eric Carr Mm -hmm. as the Fox persona. Right. They may not have been true, but that was Here's the rumor saying. of the time. And I'm, I'm I, you know, and usually where there's smoke. I mean, it, it, even if it was just a passing kind of thought. There was at
2: least a lip match at one point if there's smoke.
3: Yeah. <laughs> but they can't do the tour without Ace. And no. Ace knows it. And he's pulling all kinds of dumb shit. That's
2: why he's like, pay me.
3: <laughs> I mean, you know, it, 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 he pulls disappearing acts. It's, uh, they're doing their full dress rehearsal in Kobo. And you know he's missing flights. In they're like, are you in on this or what's going on? You know, mm-hmm. he, I think it's all power play shit. That's all it is. And it's also they, kind they talk of about childish, Ace, Ace missed his flight again and blah, blah blah blah. It is childish, yeah. But it's 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 passive aggressive behavior to it show. Is. Each other, you know, who's got control? Mm-hmm. This is the it's it. This is classic rock one hundred and one. Every band ever has these kinds of problems.
2: And uh, I like the story about it. It was either Doc or Tommy that started telling Ace his departure time was an hour earlier than it was, yeah. <laughs> just for the chance that he might get there in time. Well, I
3: mean, I'm sure the guy was problematic, and I'm not going to speak. to I don't like to speak to these kinds of. Oh, oh my God! I'm tearing up the studio. <laughs> I don't like to speak to those kinds of rumors and stuff, because I think it's just too salacious and too, you know, whatever. But but at the same time,
2: they're of, also really putting it all on Front Street during this era. Like, they're talking about it a lot. So it's kind of hard to not. not I know. That's I know. another
1: point, too. When they start asking about their history, they're kind of letting everybody know, hey... uh we broke up in the 70s because we did of not Ace like each other. <laughs> right, <laughs> because well, of Ace and Peter. <laughs> yeah, and and the
3: irony is that they stay together in spite of it after this tour. Yeah. So uh well let's look at this tour um because like I said we're kind of going to go through uh the tour and look at some of these highlights and there's a lot of highlights.
1: Yeah, there's a it's whole a t- DVD set of them.
3: It's essentially one continuous highlight uh you know uh, so, really, before the tour officially launches, the group is g- given kind of an opportunity to do a full run through in front of a live audience. This occurs on June 15th in Los Angeles at a festival promoted by K R O Q Radio, K Rock Radio. Right. Uh, it's called the Weenie Roast. Yeah, Weenie. I think that's still going on. I, I, a lot of alternative stations, like at this point, you know radio stations are being bought out by corporate entities yeah, like clear channel part of the clinton administration and they just you know so it's they can you know it's like a kind of a branding they did they did the local alternative station here in our town had a weenie roast every summer through the 90s um i i have no idea who thought that was a cool name for the festival. <laughs> i know so i was just
2: like yeah but weenie or
3: Look, you know their are headlining on this thing over the Red Hot Chili Peppers, no doubt. Corn, Everclear, garbage, and several other just big names in the nineties. Three Eleven, <laughs> just nineteen ninety six. But their set is marred with technical problems and at least one major musical blunder when Ace completely forgets "Love Gun," <laughs> and it's embarrassing to watch that. Because it looks so amateurish, and they look like kids up on stage like, I don't know what I'm
0: doing. Yeah, Yeah. the new guy
3: in the band didn't practice. And it's worse (laughs) because they're in their full gear, you know? Yeah. So it's – And a very short set, too. Well, it wasn't about the length of the set. It was really Mm -hmm. just to give everything a run through. And, of course, you know, they catch the stage on fire, literally. Um, Ace. Blows
2: the cue and Love Gun. They really don't play very well. Now, what I'm curious, though, is did this take the air out of the idea of the first show being at Tiger Stadium? Because that was supposed to be like the triumphant return of the original I'm four. I'm sure there was probably somebody that felt a little
3: ripped off by that. But, I mean, you understand the necessity of it. I don't know how heavily advertised it was in advance of this because I didn't hear about this, I think, until
2: after the Tiger Stadium thing happened. Because I would imagine this event was already in the works before the reunion happened. Imagine having tickets to the weenie roast just because, fuck it, your, your friend picked you one up, and then Kiss just gets added to it. And you're right. like, oh! <gasps> yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how
3: far in advance this was advertised or, or what. Um But, you know, it's an embarrassing misstep in an otherwise high-profile performance because they're in Los Angeles, the major media center, the major media center, you know, with all these other high-profile acts. The biggest acts of 1996 or whatever. And and here they kind of stumble out of the gate. You want to hear a
2: review from uh, the Los Angeles Times? Sure, go for it. And it's not the way you'd think it'd go. It's like, because... Like we just said, that Peter was having problems, Ace was having problems. From a local review, Stanley reme- remains a weak, stringy voiced singer who is ill equipped for his operatic style mm-hmm. that's almost heroic for him to even try. Yeah. All right. <laughs> it's just like, wow. Just taking jabs of fucking. All right.
3: <laughs> well, on June 25th, Mercury tries to capitalize on the reunion with the uh, live compilation album, You Wanted the Best, You Got the Best. And uh, this features all material from Alive and Alive 2. Not Alive 3. Nope. <laughs> it's all classic makeup era stuff and includes four previously unreleased tracks <clears throat> Room Service, Two Timer, let, let Me, me know, know, and Take Me. Yep. Um, not leaving well enough alone, <laughs> <laughs> Paul no. needlessly re records his vocals.
2: Oh, and that's that's not the only thing it's they
3: do. Obvious and distra- but that, that's the most obvious and most distracting thing you can Big tell. Time. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like the mixes—they're just not on par with the existing material, and they sound weak. Yeah, it, it, it's shoddy. It's quickly thrown together, and you know. But
1: it, it was, was kind, kind of, huh? I was gonna say it's kind of cool. The song choices were cool, but yeah, the vocal re-recording—it's cool that jari. that stuff
3: existed in some form, but. I don't know. I just uh, – I didn't think they were – I don't think it was necessary to include it if they weren't going to give it the full uh, uh, full treatment. This yeah. is obviously what it is. It's a quickie cash grab. It's It's really – it's to help promote this tour.
2: Yeah. And, and I just find it really odd, like, even the production uh, decisions they made on the new songs. Because, um, of course, bootleggers have been able to s- filter through and find, like, the original tapes of those songs to kind of do, like, an A-B. Right. And, like, they kind of did the alive treatment. They kept the drums relatively the same. They put those triggered sounds that right. they put on Peter's new reunion kit mm-hmm. on those. Paul redid his vocals. And Ace even says he went in, and you can hear it. He redid some of his guitar work. Okay. Well, yeah, okay. like his solo work. So it, they again, it's just it's such an interesting thing because you listen to some of the interviews they mentioned at the time, and they were like, "We're pulling out a lot of songs from the vault. Like we're gonna, it's, it's going to be a lot of old stuff you didn't hear, like unreleased mixes mixed in with the official versions, but like legit outtakes from the Alive and Alive Two sessions." And then you get this, which makes me wonder because something happens very similar to this in two thousand one with the box set. If Kiss is coming in with good intentions, and the record label is changing things,
3: oh, and that's that's a possibility. Because
2: something similar happens with the box set in two thousand
3: one. It seems like at this point, you know, Kiss are ready to jump to, you know, if for for any any request. I don't yeah. think they have any reservations about it whatsoever. I think Paul was going to be very gung-ho about redoing his vocals, and I don't think – and we've talked about this – I don't think Paul's vocal – in the 90s is anywhere near as strong as his vocal in the 70s not just because of age but because he's had some sort of training and he's just scrubbed away that raw
1: visceral quality
2: it's than the 80s stuff it's, it's an improvement of that though is it I a guess. stringy
1: rendition of
3: a <laughs> <instance>? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is I mean you know that's a
2: fair maybe you wrote that Los Angeles Times article Russ
3: <laughs> no one saw nothing no one proved anything uh, anyway this album is a good idea in theory but poorly executed Executed in practice. Um, Even the cover. The cover's bad. This added... Bonus interview with Jay Leno, which is yeah. corny and unnecessary. We're in
2: the vault now. I mean, we talk about the kiss gone now. We're in the
3: vault years old, years. Well, Jay Leno was the host of The, the Tonight vault. Show at the time, and the it seemed is like past it was. The Fortress
2: of Solitude yeah. on the left. Oh, we share a so space corny. with Superman.
3: Right. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need a rundown of the interview. Thank you.
2: <laughs> but I listened to that thing religiously as a kid because mom yeah. picked this up new right. in the store, and it's right. like I'd listen to I, it. I and of course, it's like that <gasps>
3: makes sense for, if, for a young fan maybe to hear. A little something but I don't know at the time it just seemed like
2: wasted space We could,
3: I'm like man couldn't we have gotten like three or four more songs in here instead
2: well um, hell, overseas got uh, New York Groove from the 80s as a bonus track we couldn't even get that yeah so this proves that even
3: uh, you know in their full glory of a reunion the band which still means the duo Gene and Ball still can't help but fall over themselves making stupid mistakes like this They allowed this to happen. Yeah. You know, but again, who's going to notice when you're playing to 40,000 people in Tiger Stadium, which is what happens on June 28th, kickoff of the tour. Yep. This is literally the proverbial biggest event anywhere in the world on that day. There's nothing happening that is bigger than this. All eyes are on...
1: Tiger Stadium. Tiger
3: Stadium. Detroit Rock City. You know, this... This is, and, and it's like, and the way this is presented in the media at the time was, well, who would have thought this would have happened,
1: <laughs> you know, like, yeah. of
3: all people, like, like, you know, there's this almost shock and of disbelief. It's like, what? Well, Kiss? Well, probably- Sold out a baseball stadium, blah, blah. You know, this
2: was framed like, you know, like. Well, the because most- if you look at it, even from like, a, you know, look at it, like folks look at stocks. You know, look at the way KISS has been trending. They've been trending downward this entire well, time. Of circling the drain and all of a sudden they just sold out this baseball feel. Holy
3: fuck. But we've talked about in the previous episodes how there has been this kind of surge of interest as you know via the alternative rock bands that are acknowledging Kiss as an influence you're seeing that that actually is a lot deeper and a lot wider that sphere of influence is way larger than anyone thought Kiss fans I think knew it they knew it you know just innately because you know we were what made it happen but and and, you know for mainstream media and f- mainstream, you know, music industry, mm-hmm. th- I don't think anyone could gauge that because no. they just didn't want to pay attention. Well, neither they the were band not could gauge it. You know, I there's a there's a you know, I'll tie this back to personal interests. Uh, the MC5 reissued their uh, records around this time, mm-hmm. and the this is bef- well actually it might have even been years before this because rob tyner died in 91 so he was the lead singer and he wrote the liner notes for the reissue for kick out the jams and he made a comment about how they were treated as uh you know insolent troublemakers that weren't i was how did he phrase it you know um they were inferior to their British brethren, or something. You know, right. the British rock groups were the serious. You know, this is my whole problem with rock and roll in general is this attitude that, especially, was prevalent in the eighties. That you know, it 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 you know, you must be a good musician. You must be very proficient, mm-hmm. and you must be able to play well. You know, you must be able to take your instrument, and you know, it was that Eddie Van Halen thing, and that just wasn't what rock and roll really is and the alternative yeah, thing it the didn't grunge thing to you. but uh, it, 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 well, a lot of the grunge thing didn't necessarily appeal to me but exactly. it brought back down to base rock and roll is essentially
1: I want to get fucked I want to fuck you up and I want to get fucked up yeah what's the uh, Henry Rollins quote just fucking on the floor and breaking shit that's kind of <laughs> it
3: yeah. you know and, and, and that's what 70s Kiss played to so well You know, whether or not they actually did that shit is irrelevant. You know,
2: they created the soundtrack. They created the
3: soundtrack for that. And, you know, that's what everyone related to so much. So, this whole idea that, you know, and that's why Ace Fraley was a guitar god, not because he was Eddie Van Halen. But because he was Ace fucking Fraley, motherfucker.
2: That's right. Ace is God.
3: Ace was fucking God. And and this sphere of influence is finally, you're seeing it erupt in Mm -hmm. a very real tangible way with this tour and how successful it is. Uh, Note that the set list is comprised entirely of only material from the first six albums. Yep. With the one exception of New York Groove. Which is from Ace's
1: seventy-eight album because mm. it was the only hit. But they don't even play Dynasty material. Nope. Yeah, that was kind of like the thing that they wanted to avoid. Was I was made so, for loving so you. So wasn't particular. even which was all one of their makeup. biggest hits.
2: So it wasn't even all makeup material. It was a certain era only. Well, it's all makeup material, but yeah. Well, I was just saying they weren't even willing to reach for all oh, of the oh, makeup yeah, era. Yeah. It was specific. Yeah, it was makeup just those era. first six
3: albums. And you know, and like we were just going to say the. The way they're playing, it's clunky. It's it doesn't sound connected. It doesn't sound tight. It takes a few months for it to gel. And and I don't you know. But they, even just the way they have their equipment dialed in doesn't sound what good. Was
2: those Randall ap- amps, or
1: did they not get that to? I, the, I don't know what they're playing. Either way, they're using like you know. It's in the mid nineties. It's but different. it seems
3: like you know. It, it just but. What overpowers that is the idea of what it is that you're seeing because it's tapped into that nostalgia base as well. Because it's people my age who were in their mid, you know, who in in the late 70s were like, you know, in their tweener years, Mm -hmm. you know, eight to 14, and now we're in our, you know, mid to mid 20s, mid 30s. You know, this is a big deal for that generation because. Now, how did this you looks, feel
2: when you saw that they were announcing a huge tour and getting? Oh, back I was on, excited. Yeah.
3: You know, I was like, I'm going to go see this by hook or by crook. I was just like, I don't care what it costs because back, you know, we were hearing, oh man, tickets are going to be a hundred bucks a piece. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and that just seemed like an astronomical figure. Guys, oh boy, if we heard
2: <laughs> now, let's say Ace and Peter or you know up to snuff? Let's say they aren't as old as they are. If we heard today that there was going to be a kiss reunion tour with all four members and tickets were going to be a hundred dollars, how oh. fast would we be pulling out our phones? You know, and the sad thing is, is we we'd all but we now
3: are informed enough to know it's probably going to be kind of. Be great. Great. Well, that's what I
2: said. Let's imagine that everyone is still at the top of their game,
3: yeah. and you know, and even then, kiss at this point, we're in their mid 40s.
2: There was that perception even during the revenge tour of like oh the old guys are back up yeah. doing their thing again. Um, but the makeup it provides a timeless aspect. It does.
3: And that's and that's again in in with the staging is an updated look of the 78 Love Gun tour stage it, it with modern, you know. And it wasn't overdone. It wasn't overdone. They had the video screen. Mhm. Um, but they, you know, they had the the, the logo was uh, more modernized and mm-hmm. what have you. Um, you know, it started with the at the second song, the whole uh, backline would rise up from behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a it was really well done. It was very well executed, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, it's really cool to watch. It's it, you know it, it was super exciting. Um, a,
2: and actually, before we uh, move fully on uh, that Tiger Stadium show, again technical difficulties. I feel so bad for the band. This was completely out of their control. This was someone in tech midway through. I think Deuce it is. The firehouse siren starts going off for like the rest of the song. No, no. yeah, yeah, it's do. Cert- one of the early songs in that uh, Tiger Stadium set that like they're just playing. All of a sudden, you just hear a... oh. it's like, oh no!
3: <laughs> well. I mean that stuff is to be expected. They're yeah. going to have to work out the. Bugs. And you could like
2: see both Gene and Paul's like faces. Like, can we get this turned off?
1: <laughs> Those are my favorite live mu- music moments, where they're just when you see somebody just reacting to something. Like,
2: yeah, and it's like their what? body language is still yes. in rock star mode, but their eyes and their face is like, someone fixed this. <laughs>
3: well, there's a lot of ground to cover here, so let's. We're going to try to do this quickly. Um, July third, uh, Kansas City, Missouri, opening act Allison Chains, which is they ironic. Of, they opened the first several shows. I've about to ask to get but, a lot younger, but this show more acts. on July third in Kansas City proves to be their final show ever. Um,
1: Allison Chains,
3: yeah. Wow, I didn't know the, that. There is a rotating cast of opening acts. I have heard, and I cannot verify this as being true. But and they had tried to get Cheap Trick and weren't able because Cheap Trick had signed for another deal that year. Um, it was Larry Mazer too, I believe. <laughs> it, 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 that would have been really cool, Kiss and <laughs> Cheap Trick. Oh my no. God, that's like peanut butter and jelly. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: You would have caught every show on that tour.
3: <laughs> but instead, they get different bands, and mm. I'm and I have heard. And I, again, I can't verify this, but I was it seems like I was told that the opening bands basically were given this opportunities. Like it was a prestige spot and they were paid a
2: flat rate of $500 a night. I didn't hear the number, but I know that a lot of bands are doing it for basically next to nothing because they kind of wanted to. And, I mean, rightfully so, took advantage of that, but at the same time, it is kind of a little bit of a shoddy business move, only because you see how much revenue is coming in, and it's like you could toss these younger bands that really needed a they few more They could, but bucks, they didn't need to,
3: and they didn't you know. on the radio. Too. And, and bands would said, have paid them to open at this point. Yeah, the, and and because it, it, you know, once these shows are put on salt on sale, they sell out.
2: Very fast, but if not the, straight away. But some of the opening acts on this tour are so weird, like Static X. Yeah. It's just like Static X and Kiss. That just seems like a weird build. Yeah. Was not
3: Degeneration? Yeah. Degeneration did a run on July 20th. They even get told to tone down their act. <gasps> <laughs> Whoa! They get finger wagged. No! Degeneration. Degeneration. Let's stop for a second because some people may not know who we're talking about. Degeneration is the great near-miss band of the 90s. Yeah, for rock and roll. They could have been huge, and they were being groomed to be huge. They were going to be the band that bridged the gap between, you know, 70s hard, or, you know, the just raw 70s hard rock, almost the punk rock thing. Yeah, like Dead boys With a little bit of the 80s glam thing, but informed by a 90s modern. I mean, they, they had dotted the I's, crossed the T's, underscored it It was yeah this is a new york city band and for whatever reason it just didn't happen
2: Mm. i I don't know i'm still hung up on the kiss camp telling them to tone their show down let's let's rewind a couple decades what were (laughs) they being told like what Again, it's, there's there's like this weird, bizarro world that they just like clicked into all of a sudden in well, February '96, where they're retreading so much water and becoming the thing they weren't wanting well, to ever be. Becoming the villain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, well, <laughs> you live I'm, long I'm, enough <laughs> to see yourself become the. Villain.
3: Mm-hmm. July twenty second, nearly a full month into the tour, they experienced their first non sellout in Pittsburgh by less than a thousand seats. <laughs> okay, oh, <laughs> a river. <laughs> So that's, that's going to be the normal. If they don't sell out, it's
2: usually by a couple hundred to a thousand. Yeah. yeah.
3: Um, Quebec, they come up. Well, in Quebec on August 2nd, they come up 3,500 short of a sellout. It's still, you know, we're talking about a band that was only drawing 3,500 people two years before, or four years before or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ottawa. Canada eighteen hundred short of sellout. See, these are the anomalies in reverse. Yeah, what we normally talk about. We were
2: like, oh, they had this one sellout show in New York, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, well, and then the rest of it was like forty percent capacity, fifty percent capacity. (laughs) Here,
3: it's not like that. August sixteenth, it's an off day as the band travels to the UK for the Castle Donnington Festival. And a press release is issued announcing that Eric Singer and Bruce Kulick are no longer members of the band Kiss. So, I don't know. This is only what six months after Carnival. Well, yeah, I mean, this is six months after the announcement, Mm -hmm. not even six months. I mean, this is, you know, do they still get to collect the full hundred grand? I mean, what was the deal here? Did they, you know, because I think they,
2: (laughs) to my knowledge,
3: quit is the way it was framed. The way I understand is that they both said okay we see what's happening here I don't know if that's true I don't know if they were quit or right. if they were terminated
2: I've heard that one but I've heard more often than not that they were held on the payroll for a year well this isn't a year this well is... they, they can still make the formal announcement that Eric and oh, yeah. Bruce are no longer well, yeah, in the band yeah, but yeah, they, but because gonna... Peter and Ace were still getting residuals all the way up to the mid 80's yeah. so I could still see Eric and Bruce being part of the income For the next year, like getting the cut, yeah. Yeah. But then after that year's up,
3: they're paid off and they're gone. See you, James. Well, uh, August sixteenth, the uh, or no, August seventeenth. Excuse me, they play the Castle Donington Festival in UK. It's it's a big enough deal to warrant a single date. Yeah.
2: They, they, they only and they turn around there.
3: and fly right back to America and pick up where you know. You we're gotta just, imagine
2: they are getting paid for that. I know that's gotta. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying.
3: You know they will return to the to Europe in the fall, which we'll get to August 21st. They're back in the USA in Phoenix, where they had you know revenge to early June, 3,700 people. Here, they're, of course, sold out, yeah. <laughs> which just, again, shows how irrelevant non-makeup kiss is. I don't care how much people love them or want to say how good they were or how good they thought they did. Oh, they mm-hmm. sold millions of records. No, they, no, not really. No one gave a shit. Yeah, 3,700 people? You tell me. <laughs> On a record that struggled, I don't even think went gold. I think it, it was goal, supposed to be their it. big yeah. comeback album. Everyone's like, that's their best album. It, bullshit it is. It's, 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 it's nothing. it's still their best it's,
2: record of the non-makeup. It's it's irrelevant. Yeah, it's completely I know it's, again, irrelevant, it's Clark Kent. Like,
3: it's Clark fucking Kent. But if, looking,
2: but if you're looking at Burger King and McDonald's, you know, you're know still going to pick one. one's better than the other. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, it's not Burger King and McDonald's because it's, it's Burger King without the Whopper. <laughs> All right, yeah. okay. It's McDonald's without the Big Mac. Okay, I'll take that. I'll you, you, take you see that. what I'm saying? I do. I'll I mean, take that.
1: That's largely embraced by hair metal enthusiasts, well, and that's a very specific crowd. But that's a, it's a niche
3: audience, mm-hmm. and, and, and even so, again, it's it, it, it renders its own irrelevance. Um, Let's see. What do we got here? We got uh, August 30th in Portland. They miss being sold out by 629 seats.
2: <laughs> you know that. It's like, Okay. I know they just got off a tour where they were just fingers crossing. They reached over the 50% capacity for some of the shows. I wonder if they're ever just sitting in the back room and seeing, like, Tickets sold, you know, minus 600 before it's a sellout. And they're just like, motherfucker. <laughs> like, I wonder if that's like a son of a. Could we not find 600 more people? Well, I mean, <laughs> at that point, it's
3: easier just to say you're sold out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. And probably did say that, you know, in, in to their, you know, for, for that matter, management probably told them, oh, yeah, we're sold out. Yeah. Regardless it rounds out <laughs> it rounds out it really does because tacoma you're 1200 shy of a seattle you're 822 i mean these and you know these are places that are holding twenty thousand people i mean yeah. you know um boise idaho on september 4th was canceled so the band could play the mtv music awards which of course famously they did performing under the brooklyn bridge did a short set the song "Rock and Roll All Night" I think is the only thing that plays on MTV. Yeah, and even Dennis Miller's introduction of them is very kind of like I can't believe this, but the here it Dennis is. <laughs> you know, like and, and they don't get it. They just don't get it. They don't want to accept that this is a phenomenon that has happened, and it happens outside the the uh, the constructs of of the media, in music media, you know, which is very much. Uh, very much a um, um, heavily constructed, you know, heavily. A
1: lot of gatekeepers.
3: Uh, yeah. I mean, they, they, you know, a lot of stuff doesn't happen by design. By the mid-90s, things are kind of happening outside of the box. The Nirvana thing exploded organically. They didn't see that coming. Mm-hmm. But they're trying to figure out ways to manipulate that. That's what the industry does. They manipulate things. This is not a manipulated thing.
1: This was completely organic. They
3: thought, you know, again, like I said, the promoters were called to this at the outset, and here it's it's an unqualified success.
2: And Um, the reason I said uh, it felt like it took them a few months to really start gelling. This is one of my favorite reunion footage clips. Yeah, I think they are on fire for this short fi- set yeah, this like deuce yeah holy peter is like props to peter like i get it he is the oldest member of the group he it has the most one of the more physical elements of a band being a drummer it's rough on him i get it so props to him for absolutely killing that set. Mm-hmm. his roles were on point deuce was just on fire and you can tell the band was having fun when they were playing new york Groove. paul be. was legit smiling and like jumping around the stage like you you've seen paul put on his fake smile he was eating this cool. up the band was enjoying themselves i want get that to that night.
3: save that point because i'll get to it again here in, in another two shows here yeah i, mean, I want to the again, biggest
2: favorite show i love it
3: the biggest anomaly of the entire tour happens on the second night of a two-night stand at mcnichols arena in denver colorado where they come up 6600 seats short but it, it's a it's a combined two-day total audience of twenty one thousand people i was about to ask yeah. So it's still a solid success for both the band and the promoter. Yeah, but a
2: 40% capacity is but like, ooh. that's
3: That's the only one that, that's really that far off. Mm-hmm. Um, September 13th, you get uh, Tupelo, Mississippi. You have the shades of eighty satanic panic when religious groups protest the show. And, of course, the band embraces it. Oh, yeah, like, and they <gasps> love. It's 82? They, you know that kind of press. They live for that shit.
2: A, you know they're sitting in their hotel rooms, being like, "Oh, yes, this, yes, yes, yes." You yes, yes, yes. can't pay for that Sweet. kind of. You can't
3: pay for that kind of publicity. And of he's course, sticking
2: his head out the window, giving them the demon eyes and the tongue, be like, "Yeah, keep it up." That's why you're so. That's why you're so. <laughs> yeah, he's like egging it on.
3: <laughs> and of course, the or excuse me, Tupelo. It's sold out show anyhow, so it only it only helps. Oh yeah, September twenty seventh. Charlotte, there North Carolina. This was my chance to finally see the original Kiss. And I didn't know how far I wanted to go into this because, I mean, we kind of got limited time here. Huh? Um, you know,
2: I, 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 I could tell the whole story how I had to go to get my ticket. I'd tell it, though, because this is an important thing because we don't really have a lot of people talking about that sort of thing specifically. So go on. Well...
3: Back then, if you wanted, you know, the, the online thing was new. I don't even know if they were selling
2: tickets online at that point. I guess maybe they were. A little bit by now, yeah. Ticketmaster had their way. But website. you had to go buy your ticket physically. You, there was a lot more of the ticket kiosks you could find in places, like in grocery stores, like a well, Walmart. Well, that
3: always existed. But I went to the Coliseum. And what they did was they, they you know, back in the old days, Sometimes you know kids would camp out all night so they could be right up front and at the beginning of the day. Well, they kind of tried to discourage that, obviously. And by this point, they were doing what they called line lotteries, where you went and you got in line, and then they came through and you drew a number. And whatever number you drew was your position in line, and then they re-lined you up.
2: Oh, that's dumb.
3: <laughs> that's, but that's what we did. And I had friends – that you know, that were working as, like, uh, what do you call them, ushers or something? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, brothers, Jeff and Joe Young. And they were, I don't know if Joe was there, but Jeff Young was there. And I had not seen him in a long time at this point. And so I got to talking with him a little bit. And so they, they opened the door, and you went through to draw your number. And as I came out, he was standing there, and I couldn't even look at it, so I held it up to him, and he just went, ooh you got number nine. You might, oh, now, you know
2: Jeff Young. Yes. And you know how he would talk. He, oh, had, he had this very animated. I literally got goosebumps because I can imagine him he doing went, that. ooh,
3: you got number nine. <laughs> right, I think it was, I'm almost positive it was number nine. Yeah. And I'm like, number nine. Well, they had multiple windows that were going to open up. Right. So I was conceivably going to be like. Second in second line. Second in line. And, it, and, and not every number between one and number nine got drawn. So I'm like, oh motherfucker! I'm gonna get front front fucking row. I'm, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah. you know, I would waited my whole life for this because I think I've told the story about how I got denied in 1979 by yep. my parents. If you didn't hear that episode, go find it in the archives. That's right. Uh, for the Dynasty episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm like. I'm over the moon, you know, and I'm like, this,
2: Your fingers feel, this, are electric. this, just,
3: I felt like this was meant to be because, you know, this was so, such an electric moment and they get there and we're get lined up in front of our windows and I'm like literally third in line in front of my window and, and it was like a movie. You're watching the clock and the tick, <laughs> tick, tick, because they're not going to start until right at 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And, you know and I had been up there since like five in the morning or something you know and it tick, 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 and it finally hits at 10 o'clock. And it was like Wall Street or something like when the buzzer <laughs> rings on Wall yeah. Street and everything just goes
0: <laughs> <laughs> and
3: everyone's like psh, 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 and the machine in my window jammed.
0: Oh <gasps> no
3: no no, no. I, It felt like an eternity. By the time I got my tickets, I was about three quarters of the way back, Oh, halfway up fuck. <laughs> You know, because this is the era of reserve seats. I had not been to an arena. well, no, I, the last arena show I think I'd been to prior to that was when I saw Kiss in 1989. Yeah. and, and I'd said I would never go see him again until they did this.. Mm-hmm. And I went and I got my ticket, and boy, I tell you, I was I was pissed. But I was also over the moon because I was like, I'm going to go. But, man, I thought for sure there for a minute. And, you know, had it been different, I'd been at least on the floor. Yeah. And I probably would have been pretty You would have elbowed your way up.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But basically
3: no, just like it was like nineteen seventy nine all over again, fate fucking denied me my my chance <laughs> to, to get where I wanted to be. But it got me in the door.
2: And uh talking about things you know, just you move, you lose little things here and there. When you mentioned Jeff Young and Joe Young, um when I was actually hanging out with Jeff Young years ago. And these are friends of ours that have both since passed. Yes, unfortunately. And that's part of the reason why I at least still had this. Jeff Young actually gave me his reunion tour crew shirt. Oh, that's cool. I don't know where it is now, but it's like I remember holding on to that for years. Yeah. But yeah, I've got his crew shirt. I don't from that remember tour. him
3: being there, but um you know, it was such an event. It was so big. This is the this is what I remember from that show. You talk about them looking like they're genuinely happy to be together. That was evident in the show that I went to. Because this must have been a good little spurt. Then. You could see, uh, you know, in times when, the, you know, and I don't think the stage ever went fully black, but, you know, in dim spots, you could see them talking to each other, you know, in high five. Like I remember Gene and Ace high fiving, which I thought was a weird thing, but, you know, it was, you could tell they were having fun. And I, the other thing I can remember, and I went with your stepdad, mm-hmm. my friend Eric, who I've been friends with since I was like four or five years old. So. Yeah. And at one point, and he asked me about this later, he was like, what were you looking at? During rock and roll all night, I turned and I wanted to, I was trying to drink in the entire thing and I looked back up over my shoulder to the rear of the arena Yeah, and everybody from the front row to the very nosebleed seats in the very top of the arena, and this is the old Coliseum in Charlotte, the old new Coliseum. We have a Coliseum in Charlotte that they built in 1986 and tore down like 25 years later it <laughs> was a modern building it yeah. was a very modern building and they had no reason to do it whatever but <laughs> this this coliseum has since been torn down but it was a very modern state-of-the-art arena and it was a big one it it, it you know the it, the arena record the indoor i think the indoor attendance record that still stands to this day was twenty three thousand people they crammed in that building wow not for kiss Def Leopard got that distinction. <laughs> but that nosebleed seat all the way in the very top, you know, from front to back, everybody in the building with their both their fists in the air, singing along rock and roll all night. Yeah. I mean, it was a magic moment. It really was. I'm getting <laughs> so I'm just cool. like, it was so and and I can remember walking through the parking lot after the show, literally rubbing my cheeks because I'd been smiling the whole time. <laughs> my <laughs> face literally hurt. Literally hurt, and I was just like, Oh, my face <laughs> hurts because I'm not one to smile a lot, as some p- people will attest to. So that was a very special night, yeah. And it was a memorable night. And you know, I've had friends that have kind of downed on it, going, You well, I mean, didn't play that good, or whatever. I, man, I it was awesome. It was so great. It was so great to see something that meant so much to me uh, throughout my life to be able to finally go and tangibly now I, there it is. You know, and it, it was almost like too much to absorb like when that curtain dropped and it, there they are. And, and it's like, like in your face. That's them. That's not, you know, that's not the non-makeup kiss that I saw. That didn't have that same resonance. This there there's there's
2: the you know, alive record is happening in them. front of yeah, me. Exactly. So anyway. Uh, now, I, I, and that's why I wanted you to take the time and share that because that's an awesome story.
3: It was, I mean, I'm telling you, it was it was a it was just a it was such a great moment. Um
2: but no, I really do think because I was gonna ask that specifically if you if you caught the vibe that it seemed like they were having a good time. This just must have been one of the eras in which Ace was a little bit more straightened up and Peter was on his MVP well, behavior. I think they they had really
3: started to gel by that point. And that mm-hmm. was that was another point I wanted to make. By this point in the tour, you know, because it seemed like it's it was thrown together so haphazardly on the on the front end. Like we said, we put the cart before the horse kind of thing. By this point in the tour, it had gelled. Yeah, you know that chemistry. I think was always sort of an undeniable thing. Is had to find it again, and it well, took a minute yeah. to find it. And and, and well, yeah. But like, uh, I think the chemistry, but they had to tighten and refine to, it. They also had to tighten and refine it. I think the chemistry is what carried it initially. But you know by this point, we're seeing some of their – probably the strongest shows they would do
0: mm-hmm.
3: before or since with that lineup. Uh, Atlanta, October 1st, they do a two-night stand at the Omni, which was professionally taped by another company – to be broadcast in japan i don't know or maybe it was their own nocturne was the company that was doing the video feed for the arenas every one of these shows were archived on video but they weren't filmed for like uh there's not wide shots of the stage and stuff it was filmed for the video screen to be projected behind so there's a lot of close-up shots you don't get a lot of wide shots that's why the The uh, videos that exist don't have a lot of wide open angles of the stage this was filmed with that in mind it was filmed to get a lot of the staging and what have you because it was for broadcast on I guess network TV in Japan
2: yeah and another interesting note on this is uh, while being filmed for uh, the broadcast in Japan uh, the audience was asked to make a lot of noise while Paul referred to the audience as uh, Tokyo several times throughout the show Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's what it says. I on do know, the know kids that they F-A-Q. used
3: they used part of this would be used for the New York or the New York, Dick Clark's New Year's Rock and Eve at the end of the year. That was the uh, it was recorded that night, mm-hmm. um, November 10th in Dallas, the final show of the first leg, and it's just under 500 of a. <laughs> it's just 500 shy of a sellout, so it's essentially a sellout.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: if there were any doubts, the reunited band really proved how overpowering and and how commanding their own legacy was and ultimately still is. And not only to pop culture in general, but really to the point over their own non-makeup past, they were never going to go back at this point. They mm. could not go back. No, Which is why we get, you know, the imposter kiss now. <laughs> which, I mean, you know, I'm not – crumbing on those guys for doing that but I'm crumbing on Gene and Paul for letting it happen um, the tour goes to Europe starting November 20th in Birmingham and winding up on December 21st in Dortmund Germany these are 18 European shows and it's more successful than any of their other previous tours with including their makeup era runs over there wow this is uh, virtually every one of the shows have sold out and it's again the ones that aren't are just shy Um, Who's their uh, opener on this run. It's it's still different bands. Yeah, they're really
2: checkerboarding it. Uh,
3: They close out the year with four shows in the Northeast when they return. Uh, Worcester, Massachusetts. Boston, essentially. Boston. On December 28th, uh, 29th, they're in Uniondale, New York. On the 30th, Hartford, Connecticut. And on the 31st, Across the River. From New York and East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's literally across the river.
1: There's a lot of East Coast.
3: Sold out shows. Um, January of 97, the band returns to Japan. Six dates. Yes. Somebody crumbed. I played in a band, and some of our listeners know this. And somebody crumbed on us for. We went to Japan and we mm-hmm. played three dates. And someone. Got their nose out of joint saying, Oh, you called that a Japanese tour, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, That's not unusual for bands to go over there. Seven days is a long run in Japan. Yeah. Um, But anyway, six dates, it doesn't sound like a lot. They do, uh, they start on the 19th in a sold out Tokyo Dome. That's 40,000 people. Yeah. That's a massive, you know. Mm hmm. uh, Includes two uh, sold out nights in Osaka. Uh, after a single New Zealand date in Auckland, they have an eight-date Australian run beginning on February 3rd in Brisbane, and that includes a three-night stand in Melbourne. And this is more successful than their 1980 tour.
1: I was going to say, Australia is a huge audience for
3: kids. That was a huge... That was one of their biggest and brightest moments.
2: And And actually, one of the things uh, we didn't bring up... Sorry to interrupt. I just ran to find it. the, uh, The January 22nd date in Osaka, that was the date that Gene lost his voice. And um, he wasn't able to sing, so Paul had Paul to pick up singing. On, mm-hmm. um, so, yeah. was, so you hear Paul singing like God of Thunder and stuff like that. And that was uh, uh
3: I wrote God of Thunder.
2: <laughs> and, oh, uh, and when they were shooting some uh Japanese promo material over there at the time, they need a Gene to breathe right. fire and
3: they brought the guy Spiro, from from the KISS tribute band. Yeah. Which later on
2: wound up being Gene's bass tech, like well, he kept Spiro yeah. around.
3: That guy had played with tommy thayer in a kiss tribute band called cold gin
2: yep and then like a night or two later when it was just birthday, day tommy thayer brings out a cake on stage for paul
1: yeah mm-hmm. well it's uh, a weird world man weird world <laughs> run tommy's role as tour manager on this right yes no. or or oh I no. Got,
3: no a guy named tim is the tour manager on this okay um I i just think it's interesting you know we talk I'm, I'm looking as i'm making my notes and it occurred to me they go to australia and it's as big if not bigger than what they had done in 1980 but it doesn't seem to feel the same because they had been so wildly wildly successful all Everywhere. over the world that now it's just part of the run um more Maybe.
2: of the same but in a good way. Yeah, yeah.
3: not a, not not a bat. That's not a, yeah, that's not shitting on anything. No. Uh, five dates in Central and South America. The band returns to the US on March 21st in New Haven and start what is dubbed the Lost Cities Tour. And this is a run of what is referred to as B market cities. And these cities were often the bread and butter of the old 70s tour circuit. Places like Dothan, Alabama, or Johnson Roanoke, City, Tennessee, yeah, Roanoke, Virginia. Well, that was uh, probably the know. first leg. Roanoke was. No, this is on this run. Um, well,
2: I saw our previous maybe not update.
3: Maybe maybe not. I don't know. I'm just saying
1: but you got
2: Nashville I'm, on I'm, this I'm run playing
3: though. I'm playing I'm playing cities off top of my head, which would be considered B markets. I'm sure they but, were hitting some on that first run. But yeah, oh, lots yeah.
1: of tennis lot of big city Tennessee dates were always B market uh places for a long time. Yeah. Well in this time period. Well
3: uh April sixth in Nashville, they set an
1: attendance record for
3: Nashville, which with uh fifteen thousand two hundred sixty seven people. Well um, Let's see, Portland, Maine, on March 25th, Paul's Flying Rig makes its debut, Mm -hmm. which I believe they use to this day,
2: where he flies out to the soundboard for Love Gun. Which is almost a little bit of a callback to the Dynasty Tour, because originally Paul was supposed to be the one lifted up to the rafters. Uh, uh, April 5th, (laughs) Columbus, Georgia. This, to me... I think is ground zero of all the problems we have today. I agree.
3: Peter does not play. He claims tendonitis, May or may not be true. It is disputed because uh, it's also argued that he was starting to want to renegotiate his deal within the band and thinking he could use his absence as a leverage. Um he sits out. I can't play. I'm in pain and we're going to have to cancel.
2: Well, there's yeah, no won.
3: way they're going to cancel. And to solidify their position and to make an emphatic point, Gene and Paul have Peter's drum tech, a guy named Eddie Cannon, suit up
1: in the costume, makeup. And play the show. And that yep. just sounds like a stage name, anyway. Eddie Cannon yeah, on Ed drums. Cannon. Ed and Cannon. <laughs> I don't know, but I
3: mean, here he's on stage playing the show in an incredibly awkward situation, unrehearsed. And I
1: wonder if Ace even knew.
3: <laughs> he pulls it off. I mean, you know, to to that guy's credit, uh, you know, I mean, was it was it perfect? I don't know. I've seen some of
2: it. I didn't watch a whole show of it. but This to me was always the weird anomaly of the tour and it's like they never make mention of it in any documentary. They never make mention of it in the second coming tape that they released at the end of this tour, Start of Psycho Circus. This gets glossed over but there's this a lot of interesting stuff. So I've got two main quotes that tell two different stories uh, on the GeneSimmons.com website. He's really big for answering fan letters and posting it on the website. Uh, someone said, hey gene uh isn't it time you tell us the real reason peter didn't play in concert in which ed cannon replaced him gene's official reply is uh he was being difficult and believes we wouldn't do the show without him we did his roadie did it instead not a single ticket was asked to be given back that's gene's response ed has a full recount of his side of it ed Ed Cannon. Cannon. Yes. Well, we we just said Ed Cannon. Well, you, a few I know, times. but you're
3: talking like Ed's your pal,
2: <laughs> my friend Ed. My friend Ed has an account of
0: this,
3: Russ.
2: <laughs> um. And I only picked up uh, the first paragraph of it, but it really kind of lays out what happened during that day. He said, Well, it all went really fast. The crew were all set up, ready for the band to do sound check, and we noticed they weren't even in the building yet. We waited and waited and waited. Then the band pulls in, the band gets out, and heads up to the dressing rooms. I noticed there's no Peter. Doc McGee walks up to me and says, Hey, nice goatee, shave it. And then yeah. says, Come on, we got to get to the dressing room. First thing I thought was, Is Peter okay? I got kind of scared. We walk into the dressing room. Paul is sitting there and says, we have good news and bad news. Bad news is Peter can't do the show. Good news is you are. <laughs> I remember at that moment, I could have freaked out and possibly ruined the whole thing, or I did, uh, but I didn't even think about it, and we just did it. I chose the latter. I said, okay. Thought about the beginnings and endings of the songs, and it seemed to be okay with everything. I shaved, started getting into costume. I remember Ace being really pissed off about it, but he ended up hmm. playing anyway. Tommy put on my makeup, and I knew it was all right because i'd played with them during some sound checks and a few rehearsals here and there never in a full show setting with everything gene was nervous i could see it on his face i was trying to crack jokes with him to lighten the mood but paul seemed confident or at least did a good job at acting like he was everyone was in good spirits, so we hit the stage
3: well that's both of those are accurate yeah i think i i don't doubt for a second was paul was peter probably hurting through this Period, probably so. Yeah, could we've he have even played?
2: Footage of him taking care of it, but
3: you know, could he have played? Yeah, so I think the idea of him renegotiating or wanting to, I think though, had it been Ace that pulled the same thing,
1: wouldn't have been. They
3: would have canceled. Yeah,
2: at this point, maybe that, because they pull that bluff on point. him in a, a couple years when Tommy gets suited up. Because Ace tries pulling that move of not showing up, and there's that story uh, of yeah, well, he shows possible. up last minute, and Tommy's already but backstage what ready. What
3: would have happened had Peter walked? Do you not think they would have well, had, do you not think they would have flown Eric Singer in straight away?
2: Oh, what? absolutely! That's what they yeah. did a few years later.
1: Well, they, don't they introduce Eddie, uh, Eddie Cannon on stage too yeah yeah
2: they introduce him they, they don't try to make it seem yeah. like it but you know what I almost am willing to bet if this happened in the 70s they wouldn't have said shit Oh, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I don't they would have said been, anything. I don't think you could
3: have pulled it off, and uh, you, you would have had to. There is well, no way you could.
2: pull I mean, uh, well, in the seventies, they could because no. no one knew what Peter really looked like, and they already had ghost players on, like Destroyer and shit, yeah, I don't and, and think so. no one had their cell phones out all the time. Know, they I could bury that I footage. I think that would
1: have been a little bit more it,
2: difficult. It
3: still would have been difficult, regardless. Um, April eighth, Mercury releases Greatest Kiss. Yeah. I remember that very well. Oh, yeah. It's as equally unnecessary as the live comp, but...
1: uh, Selling
3: a catalog. It was was
2: product. I will say, though, that fake... Shout It Out Loud from Dodger Stadium Mm -hmm. is pretty awesome, though, because you listen to the Dodger Stadium track, and you're like, that's not what's on Greatest Kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Or Tiger Stadium, rather, sorry. Tiger Stadium. But yeah, uh, you listen to that Tiger Stadium show, and then you listen to the Greatest Kiss, and it's just like, yep, nope, y'all did a lot of redubs, but you know what? it it has the spirit and that version is shouted out loud and the video too yeah. is really cool that's
1: what i picture first is the
3: video I, you know i know i always thought that video was actually kind of i i have a real particular way of how kiss should be presented at all times right and it's never at eye level and there's too much eye level shot on that video like face to, like face level well do you like the rock and roll overshoots because a lot of that there, was eye level. Some of that's eye level, but it, I think Kiss should always either be four shot. I, I think for them, if I were doing it if, it, if I were in charge, I would. Everything would be from above or mm-hmm. below, looking up, to give them a sense of presence. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they actually, are not. So- because they are not Aerosmith. Because they are not. You know, any other. 70s hard rock act. This and is and to agree with different. on that
2: point, there's a clip in that music video where it's uh, the three of them kind of scrunched up in the front of the stage, Aces in the center playing mm-hmm. a solo, Gene and Paul are scrunched up to him, But that shot from, from below, below on that it's fish eye more, lens, it's and it, looked, it is such a cool yeah. shot.
1: That's what I picture Kiss as that that angle.
2: Well, they're a larger than life band,
1: and because you're getting that sh- those uh, those boots too.
3: Well, on the day that Kiss or Greatest Kiss is released, uh, I think it's interesting just for me that KiSS is playing a sold-out date in their old Midwest stronghold of Evansville, Indiana. <laughs> it's just it's just you know it's just neat to me. Yeah. Uh, this leg of the tour ends in Vancouver. There were three additional dates scheduled for Yakima, Washington, San Francisco and Reno Nevada that were canceled because they needed greater time to get their entire production back to Europe, <laughs> which begins on May 16th. And I've got, this can't be right, Nuremberg? Yep, that's.
2: Uh, that's you, not
3: Nuremberg, is it? Yeah, it's Nuremberg. And you are in. Oh, Nuremberg, okay. Yeah. Well, it's in Nuremberg. And then uh, it continues for 23 dates, including a sold out two night stand at the Olympic Stadium in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. 32,500 people a night. So that's what, 70 some thousand? My God. math is bad. I can't even do easy math. <laughs> Still it's a big The uh, opening number. act on this is the Swedish band The Helicopters, who oh. are themselves acolytes of KISS and all things Detroit Rock. Oh yeah. Now you uh,
2: want to talk about a show to transport to because I'm just I'm a huge helicopters mm-hmm. fan. That would be the show. Holy shit. Well, the
3: helicopters were are, are, and are huge in Europe oh yeah they never made much dent in America for some odd reason they're good
1: um, and you he's know, a die hard Kiss fan too Nick Anderson
3: that guy was a drummer
1: in a death metal band in a band. death
3: metal band yeah discovered the Sonics Rendezvous band which most people probably listening to this don't even know what the hell I'm talking about Sonics Rendezvous band was Fred Sonic Smith the guitar player from the MC5 mm-hmm. and he, after the MC5 he started this band with uh, I think Scott Richardson I might be having that wrong. I, uh-huh. My rock history is a little. That's shy. A, that's very new. The sonic ones. The that's sonic is rune- Sonic's rendezvous band is just a great straightforward hard rock Detroit rock band. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the MC Five always gets lumped in with the punk rock thing. They were never a punk rock band. They were a hard rock band, much of the Midwest high energy style. I've always seen them as a hard rock band. They could have been, they should have been Hughes. That's a band that got blacklisted and did a lot of stupid shit to get themselves in trouble. Exactly.
1: That's a whole other
3: podcast. That's a whole other thing. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, it bleeds over. Their influence is so strong. You know, you got this band, The Helicopters, who, you know, once that guy heard that shit, he was like, I want to bring that style of music you know, to back to Vogue,
1: mm-hmm. big uh, Detroit and, rock fan. Yeah,
3: and I mean, it's almost convoluted in the in the way he does it, but it's some of it's pretty strong,
2: and that would have been an interesting show. And the things I dig about helicopters too is uh, on our personal time, we've discussed like the revival of like the '60s and '70s music, and how you say sometimes it just feels like a costume or an outfit. The helicopters feel like one of those few bands that's like, this is a genuine attempt.
3: Yeah, they they. I think so he's a, good, got a a good p- pairing. Um, the tour ends on July fifth in Finsbury or at Finsbury Park in London, and before smashing his guitar, Paul soaks it with lighter fluid and sets it alight, <laughs> which I think is pretty cool. I'd like to see him do that. That seemed like it'd be something you would do every show, but I right. guess
1: I don't know. I, it just very Jimi Hendrixy of him.
3: So this is this tour has been an unqualified massive success. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 192 shows in 13 months across four continents and 24 countries. It was the highest profiting tour of any group in 1996. In I don't know what if where it stood for 97. I'm sure it was in top five easy. Um, A lot shorter though in 97 though. But at this point, this band has been giving given that rarest of gifts.
2: That second chance.
3: The second chance. A happy
1: ending. You're cemented in pop culture
2: forever, and, and,
3: and, and ability to walk away at the absolute peak of their success, bar none. This is bigger than even the '70s. But why would they walk away, Russ? Because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> will they? Will they look at that and go? I mean this this is this is I mean you, you they can't not be aware that this is a this is the perfect point to close the book and say fuck you we're kiss and no one would ever be able to dispute it but of course they don't <laughs> <laughs> and that is what we will explore in further detail on the next episode of no time
1: to turn with new music oh yeah we'll finally have another album review do we get excited i mean if you're in 1996 and a new kiss album is on the horizon are you We'll talk about that
3: in a whole lot more on the next episode, and we'll see you next time on No Time to Turn.
0: Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash something